ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach, Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ma'elim Adonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Nora Tehilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtecha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
Judah, welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. This Sabbath, we are continuing our study in the book of Deuteronomy and the portion of the prophets from Isaiah that goes with it. Uh, we are in the second week of what is called the Hoftors of Consolation. There are seven of those uh, that take place, and as we wind down the book of Deuteronomy leading to the fall holidays and the turn of the year, this is the very positive and very encouraging message that we get. Now Moses is again recounting in the book of Deuteronomy the repetition of the law, where he's recounting at the conclusion of the 40 years in the wilderness, uh, he's reviewing things that happened in those 40 years, what brought Israel to the point where they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan, and the final discourses of Moses of trying to teach the people and try to urge the people to follow the Lord. Uh, our portion actually in the Torah begins at chapter 7, at verse 12, where it says, and then it shall come about. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's ekev, and a more literal translation, as opposed to saying it shall come about, is to say, and on the heel of and the, you know, the, the idea is the heel, the back of the foot, at the very end of the moment where you're at, this is what's going to happen. And what he proceeds to try to explain is that at the very moment, at the heel of you listening to the Lord and obeying the Lord, these wonderful things are going to happen to you. There's no gap and delay. He's saying, in fact, let me read the rest of this verse here. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and oil, the increase of your herd the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will remove from you all sickness, and he will not put you on any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but he will lay upon all who hate you and you, shall con not, and you shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you, and your eye will not have pity on them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. So the whole point that Moses is making here 
is there is not going to be a delay. Uh, the moment you listen to the Lord, the moment you decide, I'm going to obey what God has said, is the same moment in which the blessings come. It's the same moment that God is going to act on the previous promises that he made to our forefathers to do good things to us, and he will cause things to increase. It will cause there to be good success and to be prosperous. I can testify to you that in the course of my own life, there have been moments when the, the reality of this promise has definitely taken shape. I can look back at very specific places because I acknowledged God and I said, I'm going to obey God, that good things happened to me. Blessings came my way. Successes in my work and my career took place. There was increases and the, and the blessings flowed and, and good things happened um, as a result of it. The, uh, and this is what Moses is trying to exhort this generation that's getting ready to cross over the Jordan and go into land and tell them, this is what you have in front of you. This is what is available to you. He's trying to explain how great the blessing is going to be. Well, Deuteronomy also has another message in it, um, which is about the curses. You got a choice. Uh, if you listen to the Lord, these are the good things that are going to happen. And if you don't listen to the Lord, these are the bad things that are going to happen to you. These are the curses that are going to take place with you. Let me uh, go a little bit further down into chapter 8. And the reason I want to bring up some of the stuff that we have in chapter 8 is because chapter 8, for me, has a personal um, and powerful um, effect on my life. And I have taken to heart, you know, the things the Lord has, has said here. Uh, for it. Let me read to you from chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. In other words, it's part of my personal testimony. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Here I am, a young man. In fact, I was 20 years of age. And I had just hooked up with some other believing guys and and uh, was taking my faith seriously. Had gotten a Bible and wanted to learn. And it, was, uh, it wasn't Sunday school anymore. I, I knew it was, it was important. And so as I was proceeding, this one fellow who had been working with me a little bit had encouraged me. And he came to me very early on in those days, he said, Monty, he said, uh, I'm going to do something kind of strange. I've never done this my for, myself uh, before, but I feel God wants me to do this with you. I said, okay. You know, I'm kind of open to anything, whatever. And he says, 
the Lord wants me to read these verses to you because this is going to be your life. Okay, 20 years old, what's my life going to be like? And he proceeds to read these very verses out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, these first three verses. And he says, uh, uh, you know, that the part I really liked was the part about uh, that he was going to do good things to me. But that's really not the thrust of what these verses say. If you really go back and re-examine, it's, it's a proposition. The proposition is, I'm going to show you my commandments, Monty, and you're going to make a decision about whether or not you're going to obey them. And in the course of making your decision to obey them, I want you to remember what happened with your ancestors. See, I made the proposition to them, too. I delivered them out of Egypt. I took them to Mount Sinai. I said, I'll be your God, you be my people. And they signed up for that. Your fathers signed up for that. But as you know, there was a lot of things that happened in the wilderness thereafter. In fact, that generation that made that covenantal agreement and heard the voice of God from Mount Sinai, they did not make it into the promised land. You remember the incident. They went up to Kadesh Barnea. They sent spies in. They came back. The hearts melted within them. They refused to obey the Lord. They didn't believe that God would deliver them. They, they even questioned whether God was really with them. And God got very upset with them about that. And he said, no of that generation will be entering into the promised land. The children they claim they're so afraid of for, they will be entering the promised land with me, but they, the adults and the parents, will not. And there's an incredible teaching and lesson that's in that. So as I began my personal spiritual walk, uh, I was confronted with that I need to follow the commandments of God. I need to obey the Lord. And uh, there was some kind of history with my aunt. I knew I was Hebrew. I knew I had this background. Uh, but as to what that meant and how I was supposed to play that, I had no idea. Now, the rest of the chapters suddenly became of great interest to me in my life as a result of that. And, and of course, it was mixed with things I wanted to do in my life. Um, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to own my own home. I wanted to have some major success in my life. Uh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to repeat the things I'd seen of others. I wanted, I wanted to go forward in a very positive way. Let me, uh, let me just tell you what the rest of these verses say, beginning at verse 4. Uh, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. That part kind of clicked. I knew I was a young man, so I knew that whatever was going to be happening, that God was going to be training me and disciplining me just like a father would do to a son. And that, that made a lot of sense to me uh, for it. But i got to tell you the verse that I really honed in on because it was the one I wanted. And that was the verse where it says, I um, um, believe it's verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who's giving you the power to make wealth 
I, I, I read that phrase. He's, he's, he's the one that's giving you the power to make wealth. And I went, that's me. That's what I want. And the reason why I did is because, quite honestly, like a lot of people, I grew up poor. If I heard we can't afford it, one time in my life I probably heard it, and I'm not overstating this, I probably heard it thousands of times. We did not have enough wealth to do anything. And in fact, when I actually left home at the age of 18 to go to the military, I, I made a vow to myself I was ending that whole poor thing. I, I can't live that way anymore. I've, I've, I've got to go find another way. And so when shortly thereafter I have this experience with the Lord and I see this verse, that's my goal. That's what I'm after. However, that's not all what the verse said. Let me take you back to it. But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who's giving you the power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, that second phrase did not make any sense to me whatsoever until I became messianic. When I became messianic, I, I suddenly was processing that my faith in the Messiah, my faith in God, is also based on the agreements that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my fathers. And that what God had set up with them was for my benefit as well. And suddenly I, I saw the connection. I said, he wants to confirm what God did with our fathers. He wants to confirm it in my life. And that's the reason why he's going to give me the power to gain wealth in my hands. And so I went out and I had a measure of success in my life, in my in a secular career. And I will tell you exactly what I understood it to be. As I continue to have that success, my spiritual instruction, my spiritual understanding increased to understand how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are a part of my life, and that I suddenly was messianic. And by the time I was done with my secular career, uh, I was very active as a messianic believer, helping to establish and start messianic congregations and discipling people into messianic teachings and understandings. So when the day came that I actually stepped away from my secular career, I'm ready to go full-time into the ministry as a messianic teacher uh, for it. So these verses describe these conditions of what's been going on in my life. So I look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I see a great connection. My life, it, it, it's been part of the deeper part of my soul in my own personal relationship with the Lord. Now with that said, let's go to our Hoftor portion for this week. Again, we are in the second one of the Hoftors of Consolation. There's seven of them. The second one, and as I shared with you last week, the, there's these phrases that come from these seven portions that is lined up as a hermeneutical. It's the oldest sermon of the Bible. It's called the Hoftors of Consolation. And every year, 
the, the people that go through the Torah portion, if you're taught the Hoff Torah and your portions, you're going to hear this sermon. And it's a great sermon that talks about the last generation and the end of the ages. It talks about that after Israel came into the land, they got kicked out of the land, you know, God punished them, they went into the nations of the world, and they're in exile. And, and they're commiserating about how terrible it is and that they really need to go back and be with the story. You know, it's like the uh, story of the prodigal son. You know, he wasn't happy with being with the father and in his household. He, he wanted to do his own thing. He left, and all of a sudden he finds himself in a terrible set of circumstances. And he says, if I could just get back to my father's house, I'll be willing to be a servant in his house. Uh, just let me get back to my father's house. And you have this wonderful story the Messiah taught about the prodigal son returning, and they're rejoicing in the house, glad to have him back. And so this is the great story of the return of the exiles of Israel back to the land. This was prophesied to happen, and it's going to be a joyous thing when it takes place. In fact, the Jews referred to it as the final redemption of Israel. So let's go now to Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to grab another verse, another phrase that goes with this hermeneutical sermon, and it's going to come from chapter 49, beginning at verse 14. It says, But Zion said, The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord, um, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. That phrase is the sound of the heart of Israel scattered in the nations when nothing is working out correctly. The blessings are gone. And there may be times in your life, I've had some moments in my life, where I felt like, where are you, Lord? I mean, you know, what, what, what's happening to me? I feel almost like you forgot me. I feel like I'm almost forsaken. I feel very alone here. Uh, things are not working, especially times when I decided to walk away from the Lord, and all of a sudden I found myself in circumstances I didn't like. Well, this is the expression. But here's God's response to that deep heartache of a person who says, I think the Lord has forsaken me. Here's this positive message that is given by Isaiah. The next verse, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? and have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Wow. A mother has a child that she's nursing, and she also has a child in her womb. Is it possible that a mother could forget the child in the womb while taking care of the one that's nursing or possibly forget the one that's nursing because they're trying to care for the one in the womb. Yes, it is possible. It's, it's very difficult because the mother at that state is, is completely poured out to the love of her, of her children, both those that are walking around being nursed as well as those that she's carrying in her womb. Her love is overwhelming. For both of them, she was willing to lay down her life. Is it possible that she could forget one over the other? The answer is yes, it is possible. You could have the right circumstances that would happen. 
But God says of himself concerning you and me, he said, I can't forget, and I won't forget. I will not forget you. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this comparison, and I like hearing God say, no matter what you do, Monty, no matter what happens to you, I'm not going to forget you. And the message I want to share with you, brethren, is not only am I the one that is a recipient of that promise, you are also. God knows who you are, and he has said he's not going to forget you. He's not going to forsake you. And I don't care if you are scared half out of your wits about the future. God says, I'm not going to forsake you, and I'm not going to forget you. I don't care if you go into the great tribulation and your life is hanging in the balance and you're fearful for all your family members and the people that you love and so forth. I'm here to tell you, God has said, I'm not going to forsake you and I'm not going to forget you. So if that's how solidly God is committed to us, let's see what else he has to say. Well, verse 16 says, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Let me explain that, what it is. Have you ever seen somebody who had something very important and they absolutely did not want to forget it? Say it was a phone number. Say it was a a particular set of directions or whatever. Say it was a, a name of a person. They absolutely didn't want to forget it. And guess what they did? They took a pen and they wrote it in the palm of their hand. And, and it's inscribed right in the palm of their hand so they can remember. So the moment they need to make the call, they can go, oh, oh yeah, there it is. That's what it is. Or the name. I need to know that person's name. Okay, that, that's their name. You know, I can remember. God says that he inscribes you in the palm of his hand. Now, it's only the most important things that you do that with. Most of the time, I don't inscribe it in my own, right on my hand. I just try to remember whatever. But, but God says, no, no, no. I, when it comes to you, I'm going to inscribe you in the palm of my hand. I'm definitely not going to forget you. That's that reassurance. That's that reaffirmation of how powerful his promise is. Personally, I think that is absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible that God would make such a promise to us. Let me, um, let me go a little bit further with you here, and um, let me take you to verse um, 22 of, of this. It says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, and set up a standard uh, to the peoples, and I will bring your sons from their bosom, and your daughters uh, will be carried on their shoulders, and kings will be your guardians, and their princes your nurses, and they will bow down to you and their, with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Now, this is an incredible little passage here that talks about when it comes to God's commitment to you, what is he going to be doing with other people? Now, 
in my life, and I'm sure it's the same in yours, there's a lot of people in the world that I interact with and know about and so forth. And quite honestly, the, all the other people, for the most part, there's a lot of very important people out there, you know, the president of the United States and senators and government officials and military leaders. And there's a lot of prestigious people out there, rich people, wealthy people, people that are the government leaders and, and business leaders and, and, and lots of people in the community that are uh, very prestigious and, and so forth. God says, all of those people out there, I'm going to use them to help you. And he says, I'm going to take that which you hold in prestige and esteem, and I'm going to have them humble themselves to you to help you. Wow. Inscribed on the hand. I will never forsake you nor forget you. Inscribed on the hand. I'm going to have other people come and assist. People that you esteem, they will come and assist you. Again, the affirmation of what God's intent is for us. Now, I also have to tell you, there's a, very, a little bit of a controversy about this passage of Scripture that shows up in the New Testament. Let me just uh, kind of recap for you the modern Messianic movement that we have going on today. Um, years ago, when Messianic Jews began to emerge, and that was in my generation, um, they began to emerge, and there was a big identity issue. Are they Jews? Are they Christians? You know, how do they fit into this? And of course, the, the, you may have heard of the term, the completed Jew, um, whatever, the, the Jewish believers in the Messiah, they were involved with the church. But as things went on, Jews wanted to observe their culture and their customs, and, and go back to the Torah. And of course, the church isn't there. The church doesn't follow Torah, and they don't follow the customs of Moses. So these new Messianic believers essentially took the good things they had learned about the Messiah, and they stepped back to their heritage, uh, their, their heritage in Israel, and began to keep Sabbath, and began to eat kosher again, and began to keep the feast of the Lord, and the church didn't necessarily make the transition with them. And then uh, in the midst of that, uh, this is with the Messianic movement, all of a sudden you get this other group, and it's an even greater group of these, quote, non-Jewish believers who want to come and join with the Messianic Jews. They, they feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to join with them. And so all of a sudden we're asking the question, well, what do we do with all of these people? And how do they all fit in? Well, let me just cut to the, the chase and tell you the end result. A lot of my Messianic Jewish brethren, not understanding the prophecies whatsoever, uh, decided that we'll let these Gentile believers come in there, they can help us build our synagogues and so forth, but they're not really going to be on the same level with us. And we can exclude them and be bigoted toward them. Uh, what they failed to understand was the prophecy says that in the last days, there's going to be the house of Judah, Jews, who are going to become believers. God's going to start working with them, deliver them. And then there's going to be this house of Ephraim, the house of Israel, 
these non-Jews, but they belong to Israel, they're part of Israel, they're going to be brought back and they're going to join with the house of Judah and they'll become one in the hand of the Lord. It's the prophecy of Ezekiel 37. The nation of Israel will come out of the dry bones and the house of Israel will join the house of Judah. Well, they love the fact that the Jews are back and they love the fact that Israel is established, but a lot of my Messianic Jewish brethren resent and don't like that other part of the prophecy about possibly these Ephraimites, these other, quote, tribes coming back and joining them. And great bias and bigotry has, has emerged as a result. This is part of the Messianic movement. Now, let me just tell you, that's part of the prophecy. That's what the prophecy talks about. And one of the things the Messiah said in the book of Revelation with regard to this controversy, that he was going to take those that are in the Jewish synagogues, and he quoted this verse. He said, I'm going to make them come bow down to you and to know that I have loved you that he has not forgotten Ephraim, he has not forgotten the house of Israel, even though they forgot the Lord, even though they don't know who they are, God said, I will never forsake you nor forget you. I will remember the covenant I made with your fathers, and I will deliver you, and I will bring you back. And uh, some of my Messianic Jewish brethren of the house of Judah don't understand this dynamic, don't understand the story of the prodigal son. They're like the older brother when the prodigal son returns. They're complaining because the father wants to have a big feast for the prodigal son who's come back. And they're going, wait a minute, why are you putting a big feast? I've been faithfully serving here and you've never had a feast for me. And this resentment, this sibling, spiritual sibling rivalry, it's part of of the dynamic of the end-time prophecies. This is what it's about. And so part of the dynamic of the Hofdor's Constellation is talking about he's got to overcome that controversy as well. If we're going to be brought back from the nations and be brought back to be established in the kingdom, to be completely comforted, these issues have to be resolved. So here's part of the prophecy that addresses that. That is a very powerful part of our Haftor of Consolation for this Sabbath. All right. Shabbat Shalom to everyone. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 12. Hold your finger at verse 9 where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. As you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again that we can open your scripture each and every week, each and every Sabbath. And Father, I pray that you would just pour out your blessings and pour out your uh, provisions and your teaching uh, into our hearts and minds this week. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our most holy faith as we dig into your word and as we uh, study the commandments and the scripture. Uh, Lord, your heart that is on the word, in the words of these pages, Lord, Father, I pray that you, they would just speak to us and minister to us this Sabbath. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is Ikev, which uh, comes from uh, Deuteronomy, uh, begins in the middle of Deuteronomy chapter 7. And uh, before I get into the Brit Hadashah reading, um, this passage and this portion has some of my favorite 
uh, chunks of scripture in the Torah. Some of the the oration that Moses is giving to the children of Israel um, just is encouraging, it's strengthening, it's speaking to the children of Israel when they enter into the land, how they're going to dispossess the nations, Um, remembering the Lord in all the things that he has done for us while in the wilderness. Um, And then also there's one section in here in the middle of chapter 10 that my New King James titles the the portion as the essence of the law, and it actually is is one of the most New Testament-sounding passages of Scripture that you will ever find in the Torah itself. And so what I want to do is I want to start here in Romans chapter 12 at verse 9, talking about something that is as we behave as believers and as we operate as followers of the Messiah, it's connected back to the children of Israel and how they were now to behave, and they're about to enter into the promised land. They're about to receive the inheritance and the blessing that God is giving to them after rescuing them from Egypt, after going through the great and terrible wilderness. When you enter into the land, this is what you are going to do. This is how you are going to behave. This is why he gave them the law, gave them the Torah, the basically the, the civil uh, ordinances of how to operate as a kingdom. Um, that's one of the reasons for the Torah. And one of the things that is because we knew that the children of Israel, they rejected the promised land originally because there were giants in the land and there were great kingdoms in the land that they were going to have to fight and dispossess. Well, those giants, those kingdoms, are they're all still there. So one of the things that God is speaking through Moses and encouraging that generation that's going to go into the land is encouraging them by saying, look, I'm going to send you in and you will dispossess these nations. You will remove them. Yes, you will fight against them. And there's one little phrase in our Torah portion back in Deuteronomy 7 where it says that the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. Little by little. That doesn't mean that it's going to be just, uh, you know, snap his fingers and then all of them are gone and then the children of Israel just have to move in. It's also very much speaking to the fact that it's the Lord who dispossesses the nations. The Lord who will drive them out. Yes, the children of Israel will have to pick up arms, pick up swords. There'll be some fights that they'll have to face. But ultimately, it's the Lord that's doing that work. And he's doing so so that he can bring and give that inheritance to the children of Israel. But one of the things that the children of Israel need to have, they need to have all faith in the Lord. They need to operate as the Lord has commanded them to operate, following the commandments of law, of Torah. And also, they need to have the patience necessary, knowing that the Lord is going to do it little by little. That's one thing that children of Israel could have gone into the land and just say, oh, why is this taking so long to get rid of that kingdom and that kingdom and tear down that high place and this, this over here and this over here. And it's like, well, no, the Lord said, I oh, will do this little by little, but he is doing it so that he might give them possession of the land. So now, uh, first passage that I want to talk about here, Romans chapter 12, here at, uh, starting at verse 9. This is talking about how it's the Lord that does these things that repays upon those people who uh, who have acted evil, who worship other gods, who do all these things. Ultimately, it's the Lord that handles these things and not necessarily us. Now, it depends on what God is calling us to do and how he's asking them to walk. Like I said, children of Israel still had to fight the fight sometimes, but 
the Lord is the one who's ultimately doing it. Let's read this passage here, and let's bring out again more of the teaching here that I believe parallels our Torah portion for this week. Verse 9 of Romans 12 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a great, encouraging passage of Scripture of Paul uh, writing in his letter to the Romans here, talking about how we are to behave amongst one another, encouraging us that even through tribulation, have patience. Whenever, whenever there's trials before you, whenever there's a situation when you might be wondering, man, this is hard, this isn't, this isn't easy. Well, if the Lord has called it to be, then you simply have to have the patience, stand still and wait to see what the Lord is doing from one situation to the next. That's obviously what the children of Israel had to do while in the wilderness. What the children of Israel had to do, even entering into the promised land, and that they still weren't able to defeat the enemies right away. It took some time. In fact, if you remember, there was a couple of tribes that wanted to camp on the east side of the Jordan. It was Reuben, uh, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They had all these lands that they wanted to stay in after they entered into the promised land. But remember, Moses told them, it's like, no, we need to actually, you guys and your men need to go into the land with us, help us to fight and dispossess the, the kingdoms of the land of Canaan, and then afterwards, you can then go back to your lands. Well, I imagine some of those, uh, some of those men of those tribes probably were like, oh, man, why, why are we fighting this fight? When is this, this war going to be over so that we can return back to our lands? Our lands are already in peace where we, where we have decided to settle and to camp. Then why in the world are we having to do all this? Well, they committed that they would. But again, that patience is just what was necessary for some of the men of Israel to know that the Lord was doing this little by little. The other thing about this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The, the, the vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the Lord called the children of Israel to destroy and tear down the high places of these, uh, of these nations. And that the Lord was calling Israel to enact vengeance on these, on these kingdoms that needed to because they worshipped other gods. And that the Lord was giving the children of Israel that land. But ultimately, the vengeance is the Lord's. We can never use our own opinion to somehow think, oh, that person, that person is evil, so I'm going to 
take vengeance out on them. No, if the Lord causes somebody to be removed, remember some of those nations, as it says in the Torah, were driven out by the Lord, driven out by wild beasts, or it says the Lord will send the hornet after them and they will flee. And then one of the things the children of Israel, the biggest uh, pitfall of the children of Israel was this. They need to make sure to not go their eyes being drawn to all the gold and the silver and the high places that it's like, oh man, look, look at all this, look at this temple to this God and look how amazing it is. You know what? I'm going to take a little of that gold for myself or I'm going to, oh, that looks nice. I'm going to take that for myself. And then we, the children of Israel were warned not to have their eyes go after gods of stone and gods of, of wood and gods of gold and silver and to follow after those things. In fact, the, the, what's, what uh, Paul said here was this, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. It wasn't about going to where uh, these kingdoms worship their gods, but go to the vineyards, go to the, the, the cities, go to, the, go to the, the small, the, the humble places of the land, and that's the place where we're to live. We're supposed to tear down those high places, not go following after them. Our eyes go following after other idols. And that's what the children of Israel had to do. They always had to, be, had to remember to do those things. They needed to work with one another. They needed to bless one another, to help one another, to help the, to, to um, always making sure the ones among them, among the brethren, that they were satisfied, that they were helped, that, the, that their needs were met. Live peaceably with all men. All, all of these, these words and this encouragement, this all has to do with how are we going to live and operate as believers in the land when the Lord is leading and guiding our steps to take possession of this inheritance. Lots of things the children of Israel had to remember as they were going through this process. They, um, this idea and this concept of patience is continued on. If you would, turn with me now to James chapter 5 where it's talking about that we need to be patient amongst the brethren. James chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Lest you be contemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You who have the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Continue to contend for the Lord. Be patient with all the things that are coming. Just as the farmer waits for the rain, for the harvest, for all of those things to come before you can yield the benefits, we too have to be patient waiting on the Lord. The generation that died in the wilderness failed to have that patience. In our Torah portion, particularly in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, the entire sin of the golden calf is reviewed for us in our Torah portion this week. The sin of the golden calf, the rebellion, what the children of Israel did. They were sitting there at the base of the mountain. Moses had gone up. They waited more, up to 40 days, 40 nights. We don't know exactly how long. You know, they, they, they were getting antsy. They didn't have the patience to wait for the Lord, wait for Moses to return. And they made a God for themselves. They, and they started grumbling amongst one another. And if it wasn't the sin of the golden calf, which killed 3,000 children of Israel, 
It was the grumbling at the graves of craving, or it was the grumbling at, uh, at the report of the spies, or it was the grumbling and it was the rebellion of Korah, or if it was the grumbling and it was those that died um, at the, um, uh, the fiery serpents that were biting the people. And then if they weren't grumbling then, then it was when the daughters of Midian came in and you have the whole story of Phineas and all these different rebellions. They all started with this grumbling that they could not wait for what the Lord was doing. In all cases, that, that, that waiting, that, that they not having the patience to persevere with the will of the Lord and what the Lord is doing from one situation to the next is what causes those to stumble, was causes those to, to grumble amongst one another, to rebel against the Lord. That's what happens if you do not have the patience for what is happening. That's one of the things we always have to remember. And the children of Israel are case in point, example, you know, the piece of evidence, number one, as to why, what can happen and what can go wrong if you don't have the patience to wait on the Lord and what the Lord is doing. There's even a story in extra biblical texts talking about that the plan for the, the children of Israel to escape Egypt. There was a group of the children of Israel, sons of Ephraim, that left Egypt to go and leave, thinking that the prophecy was to be fulfilled, that they were to go and take the land, and they... It was not time yet. It wasn't until later when Moses and the plagues finally got the children of Israel released from Egypt. We must have the patience for when the Lord is acting and what the Lord is doing. Whenever we lose that patience, we have a tendency to look back to the Lord, look up in the sky and say, Lord, why hasn't this happened yet? Why isn't this this or that? It's all like, isn't it? it, it you gave the, me these promises. When are you going to do it? And what it is, is you, when you talk that way to the Lord, you are putting the Lord to the test. You're testing him. You're not, you, you, you're not listening to what he's saying. You, you're, you're putting him to the test. And that's one of the things that um, the children of Israel did. In fact, the Lord says in the, in the Torah, 10 times they tested the Lord. 10 times whether it was at the crossing of the Red Sea or at the bitter waters of Mara or, or, or uh, keeping the manna for a second day rather than eating it all in the first, or, um, or whether it was at the water and grumbling at the, before water came from the rock, or it was the golden calf, or it was all the ten times in the Torah. The children of Israel put the Lord to the test. Our Torah portion says, we do not test him. The Lord puts us to the test. That's what he was doing with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And there is a uh, fascinating passage that, of course, connects to our Torah portion for our Brit Hadashah for this week. You, we can go to Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4. I actually want to go to Matthew chapter 4 because I like the order that it gives. But this, of course, is the temptation of the Messiah in the wilderness. Now, for all of us that study Torah all the time, most of the Torah takes place with the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And then we have the Messiah immediately after being baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit being filled inside of him. The very first thing he did, rather than going and starting to pick up the disciples and starting the, his actual ministry of then ministering in Galilee and, and, and across the nation of Israel, the very first thing after being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized, the Messiah goes into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting. Okay, the, uh, whenever you see the, the same pattern, the same number, there's a connection back to it. 40 days, 40 nights. Um, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There's a connection there. The Messiah goes into the wilderness. 
Now, one of the things that I've always, uh, I like to say about the Messiah is that the Messiah, his sacrifice pays for every sin that has ever been committed in the past and into the future. That's what the actual sacrifice, that, that there's a connection to the Messiah hanging on the tree at the, at Mount, on the Mount of Olives that paid the price for the original sin committed by Adam in the garden. And that he, that he paid the price for the original sin. He paid the price for other sins that have ever taken place. He paid the price for Israel rejecting the covenant and breaking the covenant with God. He paid the price for all of these sins. That's the miracle of the sacrifice of the Messiah. Well, I actually think also the Messiah paid the price for any of the sins committed by the children of Israel in the wilderness as well. In fact, for him to be our Savior, for him to give us the example of overcoming all sin and all temptation so that we as human beings have the example to follow that it can be done, the Messiah went into the wilderness and one of the first things that he experienced in the wilderness was hunger. Hunger. The Messiah overcame the temptation of hunger. Well, how many times did the children of Israel have a temptation of hunger? Many times. They wanted meat or, or they were thirsty or they, they, they needed bread and then comes the manna and then they wanted meat and then the quail comes. And, and many times they grumbled because of hunger. In fact, our Torah portion specifically says, I allowed you to go hungry, the children, the, God says to the children of Israel. So that you might be humbled, so that you might then choose me, follow me, and learn that God does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That quote is from our Torah portion this week, and now you know why this is our Brit Hadashah portion. Because when the Messiah was there in the wilderness, the enemy comes. Hasatan, the adversary, he comes and he tempts the Son of God. He tempts the Messiah. And he says, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And the Messiah quoted this Torah portion in Matthew 4, verse 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Messiah gave the example of overcoming the temptation of hunger. Children of Israel back in the wilderness, they could have used that example. They needed somebody at certain times to say, guys, we don't live by bread alone. I know you're hungry, but the Lord is testing us. The Lord is humbling us so that we might walk uprightly before him. That's what somebody of a different spirit would say to amongst the children of Israel to overcome those trials and those tests. In fact, reading between the lines, there were people that probably said that amongst the children of Israel. Because every time that they grumbled about being hungry, not every single one of the children of Israel got caught up in that sin or in that rebellion or died with the quail stuck between their teeth when the Lord actually brought the quail and killed many brethren at the graves of, of craving. There were those, everybody was probably hungry, but there were those among them that knew, look, the, the Lord is with us. The Lord is guiding us. We still got a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night uh, in the camp. My hunger is temporary. I know who I'm following. I know who I believe in. And God did not bring me out here into the wilderness to die, but he brought us out here and he is taking us to the promised land and I can stand to be a little hungry. That's the kind of spirit that the people in the, amongst the camp and the children of Israel probably needed to hear. Now, we don't have it recorded that somebody said that, but I believe somebody had to. That was the spirit that would have been needed to overcome that situation. Exactly what the Messiah had to deal with here. The Messiah put himself into the wilderness, just like the children of Israel were in the wilderness for a very long time. 
And he showed the ability to overcome each and every one of those temptations. Continuing on, what, were the other, what was the other thing that, that Satan was tempting the Messiah with? If we continue on, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle for the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands uh, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Yeshua said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is one of those things where you don't tempt the Lord, even if the Lord has said, this is what I'm going to give to you, if you act presumptuously, if you suddenly think, oh, no, I'm, I've, I've been given all of this inheritance, all of these blessings and, and, and things, the Lord will do it for me. And then it's like, no, don't put God to the test. That's what the Messiah is saying to, saying to the devil here. And he's tempting him with, with, with the, the Jerusalem and, and the temple and, and all power and all authority. Look, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The children of Israel, even as the people of God, can never hold themselves to some sort of esteem higher and somehow think that they are greater than all. So uh, that's where you start to brag. That's where new pride sets in. Children of Israel were taught to always remember, look, you are a stranger in the land of Egypt, so you will do good to the stranger among you. You will do good for the, you will even, and, and Paul, as he was saying back in Romans as well, you even bless your enemy. Repay those who curse you with, with love and compassion. Pray for those. Bless those who curse you. Bless your enemies. Because the children of Israel, remember, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Humble, humility, that's what you must have. And the devil tempted him again. He took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Yeshua said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Messiah went into the wilderness, and he overcame the sin and the temptations that the children of Israel faced, whether it's in the wilderness or even after they entered into the land. Because again, they got consumed by, again, all the gold, all the silver, all, all the, the holy artifacts. There's a, there's a terrible story after the story of Jericho where you have the, the, the men. It's in Joshua uh, chapter 7, the battle of Ai, where they, after they captured um, uh, the, the Jericho, that there was men among them that found some of the like garb or, or, or the, the holy garments of the priests to this pagan god, and they thought that, oh, this looks great. And so they decided to keep it and hide it and stash it away because they coveted it. And then the children of Israel then lost a great battle, and many children of Israel died in the next battle because they had brought a curse upon the camp of Israel because they were consumed by what their eyes saw and because they were tempted by, these, by, by the gold and the silver and the things of these other nations and these other gods. And that consumed them and caused harm to come to the camp. They might, had to overcome that temptation. Now, when they actually found, finally found out who took the holy garments, and then they, they promptly killed them, and then suddenly the children of Israel, they removed the curse from their camp, and then they went on to win many more battles after that. But I recommend that we learn to overcome that temptation before we bring a curse upon our entire community or a curse upon our families. Because we must learn, we have to hold ourselves to this higher standard to not go following after these other things. 
but not have her eyes go a-whoring after other idols and coveting the gold and the silver of all these other things or wondering, how did they worship that God over there? Because once you bring those things in, you bring the curse upon you and upon your family and your community, even your nation. These are things that we have to overcome. And the Messiah, if the Messiah can reject all the kingdoms of the earth, all power, all authority over all of the earth, and even the Messiah, the Son of God, who I believe was God, was He and the Father were one, that if then He overcome the, overcame the temptation of all power and all authority and took the humble approach, as He was the suffering servant, humble enough to actually wash the feet of His own disciples, and to then reject that temptation of the enemy, then we too have the example of being able to reject those things. We And we must. When the enemy tempts us with what he puts before us, when you see all of these things, all these physical temptations in the world, all, I mean, how many times do you maybe see, I don't know if you're watching TV, or you're, you see people with certain jobs, and you see, hear about you know, CEOs of big companies that have all the money in the world. And you sit there and you're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to follow the Lord and, and you know, I lead a Bible study and I do all these things. It's all like, man, but, you know, money's always really tight and I'm just not. And it's like, man, wouldn't it have just been better if I just, I, I picked the wrong job working in ministry. You can look at somebody who makes a lot more money than, than you do working in ministry. And you can say, man, did I pick the wrong job? Should I have gone after these other things and then suddenly I would have all this money and gold and riches and, 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 and I'd be like higher up in the world? And it's like, no, but when you read the scripture, you then say, you know what? The Lord is always in the business of humbling his people, testing his people to make sure they follow him and not follow after the temptations of the world. So if you might be in ministry and say, you know what, I'm never making enough money. I'm going to quit this and I'm going to go do, I'm going to go work in a secular job, Fortune 500, and I'm going to have way more money than I ever would have had do working this. Is that the righteous decision to make? Anyone who's a believer has to say, has to confess like, no, we need to serve the Lord. We need to take that humble approach. The Lord will meet our needs. The Lord will take care of the things that we need. In fact, the Lord is always committed to meeting their needs. Children of Israel, even in the wilderness, without a, with traveling in tents and, and wandering in the wilderness, their needs were still met. The manna fell every day for those 40 days, save for Sabbath, for 40 years. The water, they always had water. And when they needed water, there was water. The needs were met. If the, the Lord is committed to meeting our needs, the Lord is not committed to meeting our greed and our wants. So what we have to do is we have to maintain that level of humility instead of following after the ways of the world or following after what the world has to offer. Because whenever you see that, whenever you see rich people, you know, whether it's on TV, reality shows, or, or, or you hear about them on the news or something like that, you know, you sit there and it's all like, you might be tempted to live that kind of lifestyle, to do whatever job that they do so that then you can have all the money in the world. That's a temptation. That's the world telling you that what you have isn't enough. What you need to do is you need to bow down to the ways of the world. You need to bow down to the ruler of the world, the one who has dominion over the dust of the earth, uh, which is the devil and the serpent, and that if you bow to him, then he'll give you everything that you want. Now, that's not to say, I'm not saying ipso facto, that everybody that does have a lot of money in the world, that they are all minions of the devil. That all these people, they, every single person that's rich in the world has sold their soul to the devil so that they can be rich. I'm not implying that whatsoever. 
There's no way that I believe anyone in this world can make that judgment whatsoever. Only the Lord can make that judgment. But for each individual person that might look at somebody who has more than they do, don't follow the temptation and go following after the gold and silver. Instead, take the humble approach. Follow the Lord in what He is teaching you, what He's leading you to do. Follow the example of the Messiah who overcame the temptations in the wilderness. Because that's where we find ourselves every day in our lives. In the wilderness, in a wilderness of worlds, wilderness of words, that the information age that we live in, it's just it's so hard to stay focused on what the Lord is trying to teach us when you see what's going on in the world every single day, every single you turn on the news and what you see. And so don't get caught up in all the ways of the world, but keep your eyes solely focused on what the Lord is doing, how He's called you, and how He has taught us through His Word, His commandments, through the Torah, on how we are to live uprightly before him now i want to go to romans chapter 2 and this is well like i said before in our Torah portion here we have what is described as the essence of the law the essence of the law in fact what i want to do is i want to go back to our Torah portion here and i want to touch i want to touch on this and, and read what what is actually said here because like i said before this in in our Torah portion here is probably one of the most new testament sounding passages that comes to us from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at verse uh, 12, this is what it says here, reading now from the Torah. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Verse 16, Deuteronomy 10. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of hosts, the great mighty, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve him and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name he is your praise and he is your god who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen your fathers went down to egypt with 70 persons and now the lord your god has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude that word that wording there where he's talking about look it's circumcised the foreskin of your hearts this connects directly to something Paul said, Paul being the one who, uh, who studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the great teachers of all the, the law and, and in the Jewish tradition is one of the, the greatest uh, scholars of the Torah from the first century. <clears throat> and Paul here then specifically teaches to us here in Romans chapter 2, speaking to us about circumcision, not being about the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. When, in truth be told, that original concept comes to us from Torah. Well, some might talk about Torah and say, oh, so that's just a bunch of archaic practices. Circumcision from Abraham, physical circumcision, that's all the Torah is about. But in the New Testament, all we then talk about is spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart. No, that concept came originally from the Torah. 
in a little section that my New King James calls the essence of the Torah. That it's not about the physical things, but it's about the spiritual things. It's about being circumcised and having the commandments of the Lord written on your heart, cut into your heart. Not carved into stone, but carved and cut into your heart so that you know what to do for someone how to love the stranger, how to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, do all of these things. That is what it says. It's the essence of the law to administer justice for the fatherless, for the widow, giving those that are in need food and clothing. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 2 at verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, right, that would be administering, you know, uh, justice to the widow and the fatherless and helping those that are hungry and, and in need, then will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Not that you had to physically do it, but it actually it counts. That's because it does. Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? See, this is the thing is that even when the, when the commandments are written on your heart and you live and you operate that way, well, then you start calling out the hypocrisy when you see somebody not living that way. And that's what's happened actually in a lot of times. If you talk about those of us here in the messianic movement who really dig in, love the law, love keeping the Torah, and then imagine when you find somebody who's, who's a Jew by heritage, and then you find out that they're not keeping the law as well as you are. You're not even a physical descendant of, of, of Judah or of Jewish heritage, but you're keeping the law, and your actions, even though you might be uncircumcised of the flesh, you have your heart is circumcised, and it has become as circumcision for you, and even those that are physically circumcised, that they then are then judged by those who, who are keeping it with their heart. Verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And that's what it is. When the Lord looks at our hearts, looks inwardly, and sees what he sees. That's the other funny thing about circumcision, as personal of a subject as that is. You can't look at somebody and tell if they're circumcised or not. It's kind of hidden. It's kind of behind some, some, some trousers and some clothing, and that's not something that you really can see. Ultimately, what's in someone's heart is something you can't see either. The Lord, what does he see? What does the Lord see when he sees you? Now, does he some, see somebody who is physically circumcised? He, then what he sees is he sees somebody who has read, or who, who, who is a follower of the law, where it says, where even Paul said, it's profitable if you keep the law. That parents had known of the commandment. And so they went through and they followed the commandment to circumcise their son. And so the Lord sees a follower of his law, of his commandments, if he sees the physical circumcision. But ultimately, the Lord has the ability to look into our hearts and he says, well, what's there as well? I see the physical signs of somebody who keeps the law, but do I see the spiritual signs of someone who keeps the law? Is that person a good person? Is that person kind? Do they, do they feed the hungry? Do they clothe the naked? Do they help the stranger? Do they try to administer justice to the widow and the fatherless? To do right by someone who can't defend themselves? Do all of those good works, those good things, that all those good Christian things, 
are they the ones who are doing those things? Well, if that person is not physically circumcised, but Paul is saying here, it counts as circumcision for them because when when the Lord sees their heart, he sees a true worshiper and a follower of him and his law, whether it's physical, outward, or not. Because again, like he says, a Jew is not one who is outwardly, but one who is inwardly. The one who believes it, the one who acts that way, who acts like the Lord has called them to act and behave the way that the Lord wants us to behave, and a follower of the Torah. And let me tell you this, there are people in this world that follow Torah and they've never read a Bible in their entire life. They've never read the first five books of the Bible to know what is a Torah commandment, what is not a Torah commandment. But I believe you me, there are people that live and operate, whether they call it a moral code or whatever other, other thing they want to call it. They act righteously, appropriately, morally. They give to those who are in need. They help their fellow brother. They have love for their neighbor. And they have a humility inside of them that does what is right does righteousness, understands what true justice is. And they live and they operate with that as a code and as a principle. And it counts as if they are a keeper of the Torah to their benefit, to their credit, even if they've never held a Bible in their entire life or read one or even heard the good news any way, shape or form. Those are people who are circumcised of the heart with the law of God written on their heart. This is now, now when those of us that have the benefit of the Torah and what the Word of God says and have the benefit of hearing these stories or hearing the testimony or having people around us, pastors, uh, uh, teachers, who teach the Word to us, how much worse is that if we reject God when we actually have the words that are spoken to us, that are supposed to convict us, to cause us to follow His Word, His commandments, and His instructions? That doesn't look too good on us. This is that higher standard that I'm talking about here. If somebody's never heard the word of Torah, you can sit there and you can say, look, there is an ignorance there that says that they've never heard it. Now, it should be our job and opportunity to extend what the word of God says so that their benefits and the blessings that come from keeping the word of God can extend to them. Once they know, well, then they have a choice to make. As the Torah gives us a choice, choose life, choose death, choose blessing, choose curse. We'll be getting into those in the next couple of passages here as we close out the book of Deuteronomy. But we have a choice. When the choice has been laid before us, we then have to make the right decision. And when we do, when we become a keeper of the law, then we become his humble servants that wait patiently for what the Lord is doing in the world, in our lives. Lord, I follow you. I commit my life to you. And sometimes people get, they get burned out because they feel like the Lord's not looking at them, not talking to them, not any of these things. But however, the child, the, God said, look, I'm going to bring these things about little by little. I have a plan. I have a purpose. I am a God of order, not a God of chaos. And the Lord will do things in his timing, not in our timing, in what time we think it should happen. It should have already happened. Or whatever. No, the Lord will do it in his timing. If we truly are a follower of Him, a keeper of His commandments, then we will submit to when it happens. We will submit to how it will happen when the Lord calls it about. We, we, don't just, we need to not keep sitting here debating with one another on what God can and can't do and what He should do and shouldn't do and what He will do and when, he, when is He going to punish that sinner over there and when am I going to get my blessings here because I'm a good keeper of the law. 
No, these are all a bunch of debates that, that we have no business getting into. Vengeance is the Lord's. All power and goes to him. He is sovereign over this whole world. He will do what he will do. Though, though I, heard, I heard a great quote uh, just recently that was like, uh, can God do this? And it's like, well, if you ever start a question with can God, whatever comes after that is irrelevant. Because God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, and there is nothing that God can't do. So if you ever ask, if can God whatever, the question becomes irrelevant. Because we don't put God in a box. We don't control Him. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. And we submit to Him, His rule and His authority. We just have to have the patience, the fruit of the Spirit, the love for our brother, to, to, the, the joy, the peace, be kind to one another. If we can just live and operate in that way, we'd be good. We'd be golden. And if we would continue to do it day after day, then we're not, we won't get caught up in any rebellions. There'd be no reason to grumble or, or complain or anything like that if we can just live and operate in that way, in that fashion. And that's all God asks us to do. Keep the essence of the law. To love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself, do good for one another, don't put God to the test. No, the Lord will meet your needs. You don't have to test him. You don't have to worry. Sometimes he lets you go hungry to see what's in your heart. To see if you have a circumcised heart who has love in it and follows after the Lord. Or if there's bitterness in your heart. Or anger. Or whatever might come out. Sometimes the Lord will test you. Don't put him to the test. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this teaching this week. We thank you for your commandments and your instruction. Um, Father, as you have given the children of Israel to be an example for us, Father, I pray that um, we would always look and learn from that example, Lord, as they made many mistakes, Father. Um, Lord, we know that they are your chosen people, Father, and that you will restore and remember your covenant with them if their descendants, even the natural ones or those that are adopted into the family of Israel, Lord, if we confess our sins and our iniquities before you, Lord, then you will remember your covenant. So, Father, we submit humbly to your word and to your commandments and to your ways, Father. Give us the patience and all the other fruits of the Spirit, Lord, that we need as you continue to enact your will upon this earth. Father, we submit humbly to your perfect will in all things that we do as we uh, continue to live our lives as best we can, uprightly before you, as, as keepers of the commandments, Lord, in whatever capacity we can, Father. I pray that obedience would be in our hearts, Lord, and that it's not about what we do on the out, outwardly, Lord, but what we do and what we have written on our hearts, Lord, is truly what counts as circumcision to us and counts as those that follow your covenant and your commandments. So, Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you on this Sabbath day. I pray for rest and refreshment for all those that would celebrate the Sabbath this week, and we continue to submit to your perfect will in all things. We bless you and we thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.